0: Dokey-dokey, folks, Welcome to the Roots Report Podcast, presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by Providence Brewing Company, Rhode Island Blood Center, Providence Ballet Theater, Jane Addams Resource Corporation, Trinity Brewhouse, and Mother Earth Wellness. I am your host, John Fusick. Today we have musician Mike Riley. Mike is the longest-serving member of the band Pure Prairie League. The band is best known for their country rock-flavored albums in the 1970s, and most notably their hit Amy. Pure Prairie League. League returns to the Greenwich Odium on June 2nd.
1: We forgot to shut the door To turn my guitar down Getting over you
0: Mike Riley. Hi, Mike. It's John Fusick from Motif Magazine in Rhode Island. How are you?
2: I'm well, John. Thanks for calling. How are you?
0: I am good. So um, you're the big honcho with Prairie League these days. Well, I'm just the old honcho. The old honcho. (laughs) Well, it seems like you are <laughs> the long, the one who stuck around the longest. That's that's
2: that's me. You know, it's uh, it was sort of de facto at first, but uh, turned into a labor of love. So yeah, it's uh, you know, it's been my 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 career basically and my passion. And you know, it's uh, it's, it's, I love this band.
0: You started off as the bass player, but now you're the manager and part-time bass player. Yes,
2: yes. Well, you know, there's I still show up on you know half a dozen gigs a year and do the you know rock and roll cruises and Stuff like that, you know, with the band. But yeah, it's uh, I, I'm pretty much retired from touring. Uh, it just got to be, you know, enough's enough.
0: Yeah, that's the consensus when I talk to po- folks. Is that touring is touring, the travel is the hard part. It's the easy part is playing the show. The hard part is getting to them.
2: Exactly. Well, we don't get paid to play. We get paid to travel. And uh, there's just not enough money to to you know <laughs> to put up with the shit that you have to these days with uh, you know with the way things are.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, so you basically stay home now. You don't. You don't go out on the shows anymore.
2: Um, I don't. I, I go out like on select shows. You know, like I said, I do about six shows. I mean, if we're playing the Grand Ole Opry, I'll fly to Nashville. If we're playing the. Franklin Theatre, I'll fly to Nashville. If, you know, we're playing, uh, actually we're playing June 1st right here in uh, the area where I live, so, uh, you know, I'll I'll, uh, drive to that show and and, uh, play the set. Where is it that you live? uh, I live in Sag Harbor, Long Island, on the East End.
0: Oh, okay. So you're not too far from Rhode Island. No, actually I'm not. Will you be playing the Rhode Island show perchance?
2: I won't, mainly because uh, I've got uh, relatives coming in that weekend for a visit, and so, uh, you know, I mean, I can't just run off and leave my wife to uh, entertain the family while I'm elevanting with the band.
0: Well, that sounds like the perfect excuse to do that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Actually, I'm looking forward to seeing him. So. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, I mean, it, you know, for me, it's a luxury to be able to pick and choose. You know, I've got a lot of friends and I know a lot of people after 50 some odd years touring with the band. And, um, you know, a lot of people are disappointed, but they understand. I mean, you know, at my age, the uh, the, the physical toll and uh, just the just the whole idea of it. Uh, I, I made a decision and I promised my wife after 50 years on the road, I would uh, I would back it off. Off. and so i'm keeping that promise
0: oh i i understand i i play as well and i know that playing's the easy part and getting to the show is the pain and loading setting up all that kind of stuff doing i mean i'm a i'm all self-contained i'm the man i'm management i'm publicist i'm performer i'm roadie i'm everything and it's just you know i'm 62 and it it's tiring at this point so
2: yeah well you, you know you have to be all the, you have to wear all those hats and it's just um you know once again i just you know i finally made it decision, you know, that affects a lot of different areas of my life, but uh, I I made the right decision as far as I'm concerned. Um, My wife is thrilled and, you know, happy wife, happy life. (laughs) Um, So, uh, you know, it's, and I, you know, a lot of people that I've talked to, you know, like uh, George Marinelli, Bonnie Raitt's guitar player, just retired from the road after 30 years with Bonnie. Yeah,
0: sometimes you have to do it. I mean, it, it is, it's, it's really, I mean, especially after the past few years too, it's, it's really shown people the important things in life and you know sometimes it just is hard and as a fan of music it's always disappointing when somebody who's been a performer for a long time retires but as a musician i can understand it because i understand how hard it is to do what you right. do so it's like i'm on the fence with a lot of things because you know the i besides being a musician i'm also a fan and it's always that you know the argument within myself as to what to do and what to give people a break about because it, it is hard it's a hard thing because yeah. uh, musicians are passionate playing music is a passionate part of your life and to be able to do that is a blessing but to choose not to do it in the capacity you were doing it before it's a very hard choice indeed
3: indeed
2: you know i mean i stood over it for a couple of years during the pandemic and that and you know that sort of basically cemented my decision because uh you know because we were off the road for almost a year and a half so mm. uh, and these days you know the thing is is that the money for the gigs didn't go up mm. yeah. but travel you know, hotels, I mean, $400 a day for a rental car, you know, it's like, um, <laughs> you know, the, those those things, uh, you know, the expenses went up exponentially, but the um, uh, but the pay scale didn't go up. Right. It's a so tough, it's, it's a you tough know, life. it's like, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's, you know what they say about a musician, you know, the definition of a musician is a guy that spends uh, uh, $50 on gas on a $5,000 automobile to load $5,000 Worth of uh, gear into that car to play a uh, $150 gig.
0: Right. (laughs) I know the feeling.
2: yeah so it's it's sort of like okay well you know and and and, you know it's with with five guys and a booking agent and me as a manager and stuff like that i mean there's you know there's a lot of expenses not counting the you know everything is all the road expenses right and as as the guy that runs the business also you know you can't just lose money i mean i've been taking money out of my savings for the last two and a half years oh geez uh to keep the band going so it's you know it's just sort of a you know you you just make the decision and uh, try to make it work so you know we've We've cut down on certain expenses. You know, I mean, we're using companion passes and stuff like that, you know, on Southwest to uh, to save on a couple of uh, plane tickets and, you know, doing whatever we can just to make sure that it happens.
0: Yeah, people... People really, I don't think people really understand the no. life of a musician. Everybody thinks that if you're an, a musician of note and then you've been around for a long time, that you're, you're you're living in a mansion and you're driving a Rolls Royce and you're making tons of cash. Right. It's it's yeah. not. I mean, there's a certain level that does that, but there's a certain level that just always stays working musicians and they're always tooth and nail trying to fight for the cash.
2: Exactly. what you're talking about the 1% or 2%, you know, which is like so many other things in this country. Uh, you know, the guys that are meat and potatoes of the business are the ones that are out touring and and busting their asses you know and then you've got all the new kids that are taking tour support from these companies with the 360 deals not realizing that they're going to be in debt for the rest of their lives and never make a a dime off of their work right Uh, it's just you know i wouldn't (laughs) i wouldn't recommend it to anybody unless they're stout of heart and uh have got rich parents
0: yeah no i've i've seen read and talked to people and heard stories about you know for the first 10 years of their career they didn't make Make any money they was, you know, they were all over the place, but they weren't making any money because the record companies were taking it, or the management was taking it, or they just had a bad deal, and you know, they weren't. It was for one reason or another. It's just that story of the music business. It just goes
2: right. Uh, but you know, by the way, John, I'm not griping. I mean, I'm just basically I'm an observer of the times, and you know, that's what's going on these days. So you know, that that's what impacted my decision to uh, uh, you know stop touring for the most part.
0: Oh. Oh no, um, I like I said I I totally understand. I I get it. I totally get it. it you know, it, it's you know, I I play music because I it's who I am and what I do and I really can't do anything else. But, you know, you do wish there was it was a better way to be compensated.
2: <laughs> that's true. But, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, I still play music, you know. I've got a I play with a little combo out here that's uh it's a lot of fun and we do, you know, four, five, six gigs a year and and uh, we get together and rehearse every couple of weeks and stuff like that. So, so, you know, that's a lot of, it's a, it's a great ton of fun. I mean, we play jazz and blues and uh, the key- keyboard player is the keyboard player from Supertramp. Oh, cool. And uh, the, the guitar player is uh, G.E.
0: Smith. Oh you know, really? He, Saturday night he was just in town the other day. Yes, with uh, my other buddy Jimmy Weeder, right? And, yeah, uh, I, I actually, yeah, yeah, I actually talked to him last week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like the big yeah, incestuous great, so. music business. Everybody knows each other too. Well,
2: well of of course, of course, yeah. um, because we've all stayed in the same flea bag hotels you know, <laughs> and stuff. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm, you know, I still get to play music. You know, I mean, I I just I couldn't give that up. And I wouldn't give that up.
0: No, I wouldn't. But,
2: um, you know, and, and when I can go out on these gigs and, and play with Pure Prairie League, I play rhythm guitar and mandolin and sing. So. You know, and and leave the base chores up to uh, Jared, the the base player that I hired to take my place.
0: So, going back, I I heard somewhere that you were in the Lemon Pipers at first? Yeah, way back before Pure Prairie League. Now, are the Lemon Pipers the one who had green tambourine? Yep. Oh, were you on that song? No, I
2: wasn't. I I joined in the last incarnation, the last touring incarnation of the Lemon Pipers, and uh, by that time, you know, Walmsley, the original bass player, was gone. Bill Bartlett, the uh, lead guitar player, has gone. He had formed another band called Ram Jam that did Black Betty. Oh yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, and so I went out with the remaining members of the band, and uh, you know, we threw green tambourines out to the audience, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> toured, toured, with the Dick Clark Caravan of Stars and stuff like that. You know, with the the Shirelles and the Dixie Cups and Freddie Cannon and uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders. I mean, it was a gas.
0: Now you were one of the early. You you probably you joined pure Prairie League. So- soon after their formation or, or an album in or something what was it yeah
2: I, I actually joined during
0: the second album um,
2: as a matter of fact the Lemon Pipers
0: were playing a gig in
2: Cincinnati at a place called the Ludlow Garage with about six other bands and Pure Prairie League was the opening the first act on and so I watched their set and just loved the steel guitar player loved the lead singer and loved what they were doing you know playing uh, ro- rock music uh, but uh, with a country edge or if you will country music with a uh, a harder rock edge and it did I said, man, I love this this sound, and I'd like to be in this band one day. And two years later, they called me up, and I'm in.
0: So that was after that most famous song by Pure Prairie League, Amy. That was after that that had already been recorded, though, right?
2: That was, yeah, that was during that time. They actually, you know, I couldn't play on the record because I was rehearsing with uh, another artist up in Woodstock uh, for her tour. So I couldn't get away to do the Pure Prairie League album, so they hired a, a friend from L.A. to play bass. On the record which i think only two tracks of his actually made it um craig played bass on amy but uh, yeah they called me up during that uh during that uh album recording in toronto and uh i hooked up with him in july and we rehearsed for a couple of months and our first gig was on labor day of 72.
0: that album and that track i mean you actually the band got dropped from the record label after that it was a slow burn for amy to catch on and then it caught on in college radio cuz i mean i remember when that song was uh, was big and that was around you know the mid 70s and that was a big song in, in my high school and then you folks got signed again because that was catching so much traction on college air right
2: yeah well it was due to the fact that we were playing 275 college shows a year for several years all through the 70s and we were basically just cramming amy down every college student's throat so <laughs> uh, so you know i mean that's 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 what i attribute the success to is just the diligence and the hard work and uh the, the college fan base that uh you know and the college radio stations that played our record and rca you know started hearing the buzz and decided to come back and
0: sign us. Colleges back then were different than they are now. I mean, colleges, when you used to go to college, they used to have alcohol on campus. And when when the alcohol drinking age went up and alcohol was taken out of college campuses is when a lot of the extracurricular activities like college mixers and concerts, and concerts yeah, and all. Exactly. they went yeah. by the wayside and that was a shame because colleges were, I mean, I remember, I mean, I wasn't playing colleges back then. I didn't play colleges until the early nineties, but I mean, colleges actually used to be a very uh, lucrative touring destination for, for artists because they had these budgets, they had the crazy budgets and they could pay and you had an audience too that would come out because it was, you know, you had a bunch of kids that were on campus that lived there with nothing in the area and this was their only Source of entertainment so you'd get a lot of fans by going to colleges because it was just it was a, ca- a captive audience and exactly well, well, when they took the uh the alcohol out a lot of the uh the colleges stopped having a lot of these things and it's slowly over you know the course of maybe 10 10 or 15 years pretty much dissolved and then the music business changed and people like college radio started to try to become mainstream radio because the kids on college radio wanted to be more mainstream because they wanted to go out and get jobs in mainstream radio. So they turned their radio, college radio stations, into mainstream stations. And there was really no difference between a mainstream station and a college station anymore. And and the college campuses weren't places for concerts anymore. I mean, I used to play a lot of colleges. Now, they don't really have anything at colleges anymore.
2: Right, right. I mean, you know, you used to have concerts on the quad or concerts in the gym or the field house or whatever. And uh, it's just a sign of the times. I mean, you know, if you if you look at you know, historically, the the uh, the the timeline. Uh, it's it's it, you could watch the progression and the uh, and the declination of the concert scene in the colleges. Uh, it was just one of those things that you know, the Mississippi River Festival that used to be at S I U in Illinois. You know, places like that that held these great concerts. You know, the Who and the Band and people like that, and us, ZZ Top, Marshall Tucker, Charlie Daniels. I mean, we used to do that gig every year. It finally went by the wayside because the college. Couldn't afford the liability and everything else. So, you know, it's just, a, it was just a sign of the times and a reflection, and we, we soldiered on. Uh, as as did a lot of acts, you know, figured out a different way to, uh, you know, to provide the income stream.
0: In your recording days with Pure Prairie League, you recorded. Uh, you had guests on your on your albums, such as uh, Emmylou Harris, Don Felder, Nicolette Larson. Anybody else that of note that was on your albums? Chad Atkins. Oh, cool.
2: Played the guitar solo on uh, Kentucky Moonshine on the Two Lane Highway album. We had uh, David Sanborn played sax on several records. We had friends. Come come in and and play as much as we could just to enjoy it and make it a bit more of an event than, you know, just us going in the studio and recording one more album of, you know, to to fulfill a contract. So it was always a great thing. And, um, you know, actually I'm looking forward to doing our next record because I've already invited a few people to, uh, guest so (laughs) there you go
0: that's good you're still putting out music i was going to ask you if you had anything coming out
2: yeah absolutely we're playing a couple of the new songs in uh in the sets and we're trying out different stuff and yeah we're going to be recording at the end of the summer so
0: what was the last album you put out that was in 2005
2: it's called uh, all in good time
1: Back in my younger days, that I would live forever and never have to change my ways. I thought your love was something there at my beck and call. Nobody could have told me that was pride, right? Morning live I thought I'd find That sad goodbyes And memories Didn't fade away with time Cause even now I see you Standing at your door You told me I was lying When I said I don't love you anymore But I should do Now, when the time was right, you'd be around. The only thing I'm sure about tonight is I sure do miss you now.
2: yeah well that's that's once again all in good time kind of sums it up uh, because our last album before that was in 1987 so um (laughs) you know we were taking our taking our sweet time you know we put those out on our own you know we we did that on our own label and and uh, that's that's going to be the same with this one so
0: so the one you put um, out in the in 2005 was on your own label
2: Yes. Yeah, that's, you know, unfortunately, that's the the, the last album that we did, uh, you know, that we actually released. So we just sell that record now, basically at the gigs and on the website and stuff like that. But Wait. it was really a good album.
0: Do you play songs from that during your set? Yes, we do. Oh, great. Most people, I mean, unfortunately, bands get pigeonholed because of a song. And But, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. You've got this huge song that everybody identifies you with, and they kind of overlook all your other material because they go to the show to hear that one song and I'm sure that that one people are sitting there waiting (laughs) to hear Amy all night.
2: And we make them wait until the very end.
0: <clears throat> oh, I'm sure that's the way it works. It keeps them, it keeps them yeah. on their edge of their seat. They, they're like, are they going to play Amy? They're going to play Amy. They play an Amy. That's Everybody the ticket. Yeah, that's the ticket. <laughs> yeah. it's called the money shot. Oh yeah, yeah. So I, I know, so, you know, I know people always ask you this, and I, I don't want to go into this because people, most people know this, but I mean, you played uh, Vince Gill was was a member of Pure Prairie League for only a short time, maybe like a year and a half, two years, three years. Oh, three years. I thought it was.
2: 1978 like- to 1981 okay. I hired Vince um I, I tried to hire him two years before he actually joined in uh, in uh, 76 he was playing in a bluegrass band that were was opening up for us in oklahoma city and he came up and sat in with us on a few tunes and um i asked him you want to join the band he said no man i'm a bluegrasser <laughs> so a couple of years later we were in la um larry and tim Goshorn had left the band the guitar players and uh george powell the rhythm guitar player and uh i was auditioning you guys for the uh, to be the new guitar player and singer for pure prairie league and vince came to the auditions with a buddy of his and his buddy kind of blew chunks but uh you know i asked vince i said hey we're gonna stick around for a little while you want to just uh you know we'll get you a guitar and we'll jam for a little while and uh vince says i've got my guitar in the car we wanted to play him for four and a half hours then yeah. i offered him the gig again and he said yes
0: that's uh it's, so he, you know. did,
2: he did three records with us yeah
0: oh great yeah it seems like you know that's he's done fairly well for himself since then
2: <laughs> yes he has yes he has you know i mean you know if you look at the, if you look at the arc of Pure Gray leagues career, we've been a springboard for a lot of artists. Uh, you know, not only just Vince, but Gary Burr, the Goshorn Brothers, all kinds of people. So uh, it's, it's you know, I'm, I would never stop anybody that wanted to uh explore the possibilities of a solo situation and uh you know it's like okay god bless and thanks for putting in the work
0: oh it's almost like poco poco kind of had the same career arc as well exactly you know the the eagles pilfered two bass players out of them yep and then you know all the ins and outs of that band i mean you've had I, I i looked at a list of people you've had i don't know if i i didn't even count but the amount of people that have been in and out of that band is is mind-blowing it's just i mean it's 52 Oh. <laughs> Then save you save me the counting. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of people. I mean, it's you know when I when I asked to speak with an original member because I like to speak with the original members of the band because they're the ones that know the history and and have been through the ups and downs. They weren't just hired for yeah. for an album and. In and out in a year, or they're just a new person that just punched in for this tour or something. It's you know, it's I want to hear the stories from the people, and you know, that's that's why I like to talk to the original members because it's just
2: well, that's a smart thing to do. Yeah, I mean, because uh, uh, (laughs) there's a lot of bands out there that only have one original (laughs) member or none, and nobody knows the stories, nobody knows the history, and you know, it's it's sort of like, well, uh, where'd you get your information from, Wikipedia? (laughs) because <laughs> you weren't
0: there, you know? So right, right. It's, I don't know, it's it's a tough thing. It's, you know, especially nowadays. I mean, I, I, I understand why some people are, you know, they keep the flame alive. They they go out with either one person or no people in the band because people just want to hear the music and they become glorified tribute bands. But on the other hand, it's just, you know, some people are, are just clueless and don't even care. They don't even, like, they're just like, ah, I'm hearing the songs, I'm happy. Right,
2: well, that's the idea, you know? And, the, you know, as long as there's a, that's that's just uh, marketing you know it's a uh, supply and demand if people want to hear it you know they that's why uh, tribute bands are doing so well and some tribute bands are doing a lot better than uh than the original acts it's right. it's funny it's you know but and they sound great you know i mean I, I i give all these these guys all the credit in the world for uh doing justice to the uh to the music even though it's not theirs i've heard some of these tribute bands that just completely kick ass and uh, better versions of the songs than the originals, you
0: know, Mm. so. Well, they're not as tired of playing them either, so... (laughs) That's true, that's true. They put a fresh new spin on it because they haven't been playing it for 50 years and are tired of it.
2: Exactly. Well, you know, that's the thing. We never get tired of our songs because we keep on pulling out new old songs and, uh, you know, rearranging them and, and doing different versions and stuff like that. So it's, you know, which we do on stage. We're playing songs from the Bustin' Out album that we hadn't played since we recorded it in 72. Speaking so it's of, a lot of fun for us.
0: Speaking of your albums, uh, your your consistency with album covers featured that cowboy. Sad loop. Who who came up with the idea to, to use that Norman? Is that actually a Norman Rockwell illustration, or was it somebody copying Norman Rockwell who made that illustration?
2: Well, the first record, just you know, the eponymous title, Pure Prairie League." That's a that's a cop that's a Rockwell cover from Saturday Evening Post from uh, August of 1927. So we had to get permission from Saturday Evening Post and from Norman Rockwell to use that and to use his likeness on subsequent records. We we were in the studio in 1971 in New York recording the first album, and uh, we had chosen the name for the band because the Omars didn't really get anybody's skirts soaring, so uh, so. The drummer, Tom McGrail, came up with this name from a, an old Errol Flynn movie called Dodge City. He said, you know, if people can remember this name and, and also uh, can spell it, you know, then we've got something. So our RCA liked the idea and uh, liked the name because we were a Midwestern band, you know, from Southern Ohio and Northern Kentucky. They So they like that part of it. And it's like, oh, you know, let's come up with something. And uh <laughs> <laughs> so the steel guitar player John Call was sitting in the studio in New York with uh, an A&R gal named Paula Batson. She had brought in a Rockwell Saturday Evening Post covers book you know like a coffee table book yep and they were paging through the book and happened upon this Saturday evening post cover and John and Paula looked at each other and said this is it and so they said it to AC Lehman in LA the uh, art director and he said ah that's perfect he said this is great Norman Rockwell's a friend of mine I'll, I'll arrange to get permission we'll use the Saturday evening post script and um we actually made a, a made Norman Rockwell a prairie dog in 1975 <laughs> that's cool and he loved it he loved the the covers and the idea you know because we we tried to uh, get people that would you know pay tribute but also put a, a new spin on things so
0: mm. well it worked which, I mean I I recognized he, that cover because I mean like I said I grew up in the you know my my main music inspiration was from the early and mid 70s and you know that album was an album I used to see kids carrying around that album in school sure it was it was a very branding before
2: album. branding was a term you know
0: right right exactly it was it was totally identifiable as pure prairie league.
2: Yeah, we were lucky uh, you know that it, that it caught on like that. I mean, it's just one of those moments of serendipity where everything worked.
0: Of all the shows that you've played over the years, I know you've probably shared the bill with a lot of uh, acts, who was who was the most memorable act that you've ever played with? Oh jeez, the most memorable? Well, I'm sure you have a lot or some of the memorable. How about that? Make <laughs> yeah, it easier.
2: Well, there you go. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we toured with so many different bands and played on those. We played on those festivals. You know, like you know, I mean, I stood in front of the stage and watched Robbie Shankar play. You know, Crosby, Stills and Nash, and Jesus. I mean, you know, so many so many acts. Um, <laughs> we we had Kiss as our opening act one time in uh, <laughs> South Carolina. South Carolina.
0: Was that when you were on um, Casablanca?
2: They, uh, no, that was. Oh no, that was way back in. Uh, Uh, like 1973 they were the opening act and um they basically got booed off the stage you know uh you know buffett was our opening act uh, for a couple of years and stuff so billy joel so it's um you know it's been it's been a it's been a fun time uh you know we never really got the one big break but then again basically i think it's you get what you deserve and we were hard-working kids and uh, but uh you know some of these other guys just uh hit it you know hit it right and it was all about the timing so so you know that's that's how i view our quote unquote success or lack of
0: i mean it's it's an enduring band so that's successful in that aspect it's it's You know, you've got 50 years out of the band, and uh, that's that's something to say right there. That you know, a lot of bands don't last five years. A lot of bands can't even make it past the first year. So, well,
2: these days, these days, I think bands are you know as as uh, extendable, and uh, you know, it's planned obsolescence. I think you know, it's like hit it, hit it hard. Social media, make some money, and get out. Yeah, that's you know, it's it's unfortunate because that doesn't you know that that breeds ignominy. To me, it's... It's not exactly a, the, the the right way to do it, but then I mean everybody wants to uh, to make it big, but nobody wants to put in the work or pay the dues.
0: No, I know and that, that's that's
2: that, a sad thing.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you on that one because I'm one of those people who looks at a lot of these people and they're like YouTube stars or American Idol stars, yeah. and I'm like, you build up your build up things by playing gigs and going out and being on the road and playing gigs, and they don't understand the playing to nobody driving 300 miles playing to nobody getting paid crap and then going in a car and going playing the next gig and playing to nobody I mean even Springsteen did that everybody played gigs to nobody and everybody drove around and made no money and it's just it just builds it builds the character it weeds out the weaklings who are really in it for the wrong reasons and it, it right you come out better on the other side of it and all these people who expect to be in a limousine and have a gold record right off the bat it's it's, <laughs> it's it's not realistic i mean that's not what the music business is for music is an art and to be able to be allowed to practice your art form and make a living for it is a privilege and you have to earn that privilege it's not just granted upon you everybody i mean these these days, I can't say everybody, but most people who are the enduring artists are the ones who did that. Some of the fly-by-night artists are the people who've done American Idol, YouTube stars, who really never earned it the right way. And, I mean, you know, I'll have people argue that point with me, but I'm, you know, I stand firm on that because you're not gonna... No, I completely agree with you on that, man. Absolutely. Just because you got five million hits on a YouTube video doesn't make you a great performer or a great artist. It's just that... No. And, you know, it's just... I don't know. That's a whole, I mean, that's, that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, that's, that's what the music business is dear these days. Uh, uh, it's like, you know, uh, if, 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 I don't want to hear about influencers. <laughs> I don't want exactly. to hear about Spotify. It's it's like blood without plasma. You right. know, I mean, come on, man. It, so, you know, you know but we, well, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's another conversation for another time. Cause we could go for hours on that. I done that one. Man.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. That's trust me. I, I know <laughs> I've been, I've been in music for, Oh, 40 years so I know it. it's just it has its up and down I've had had my ups and downs and I've been in and out of it I've taken breaks from it too it's just you know everybody goes through that where you just get frustrated you throw up your hands and you walk away for a while because it's just it can be tough it's really hard and for people you know to stick it out as long as they have and people like you who've been in the business their whole lives it's got to give them credit you got to you got to get credit for it because it is a tough business and to endure it for as long as you have and still be involved Involved in it to whatever capacity you're involved in it it's you know it says a lot about your commitment to the to the craft and the art of music
2: well you just hit it right there on the on the head because it, it is a craft but it is also an art and you know you you get better at your craft because you put in the work right and uh, ultimately if you're lucky enough and talented enough you create art
0: right Exactly.
2: You know, craft implies work, right? And uh, you know, art implies talent. So, uh, you know, I think those things are, you know, what dictates the the state of the, of how things are these days. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is you know, we're in the 2020s for Christ's sake. You know, I know. it's a lot different than it was in the, <laughs> the 60s and 70s.
0: Mind-boggling, mind-boggling. When I was a kid, no, sorry, 2001: A Space Odyssey, and was like, oh my gosh, that's so far away, and we've we've years beyond that now. Yep yep no kidding we're in the future that we saw as a kid but the future we saw as kids is not what it is
2: (laughs) no no you know uh steely dan had a certain well donald fagan wrote a song called uh, the igy you know the international geophysical year and it was basically you know a look to the future i love that song uh,
0: it's a great song yeah
2: so you know i mean that's just sort of like well you know we all had those those uh hopes and dreams in the 60s and 70s and uh, you know when when 2000 when the millennium hit it was a whole uh, different uh you know ball game so All right. and it's once again a different ball game it is well, but we've we've been through, you know, we've been through crazy stuff before and we we will soldier on.
0: Yes, we will. Well, you want to uh, tell me what folks can expect at the Odeum on June 2nd with the Pure Prairie League band? Well, I'll tell you
2: what, it's going to be uh I mean it's a great show. We've been we've been doing nothing but uh, getting five-star reviews on every single show. I'm glad that we're playing the show by ourselves like we did the last time because every act that we play with, we blow right off the stage. So <laughs> um so it's uh they're gonna hear songs from uh, all the albums you know we play some deep cuts that uh unless you've got those albums you won't even recognize uh we're doing a couple of new songs that are going to be on the next record on the next uh eight track and um and uh you know we'll uh it's going to be a good show you know the singing's great the musicianship is just stupid good and we have fun you know i mean the band is just hitting on all eight cylinders and uh and it's only a 6 cylinder engine so you know we're we're uh, we're thrilled about what we're doing and we're glad that we are doing it and glad to be able to do it so they can expect to uh, get more than their money's worth that's for damn sure
0: well, I, I thank you for continuing to do it, and it's been a pleasure talking with you, and uh, I'm glad I had this opportunity, and hopefully you will have a great show at the Odeum.
2: We, you know, we had a great time there the last time, and uh, and uh, we will not disappoint this time either. So
0: that's I'm sure you won't. All right, well, I appreciate you taking the time. It's been a pleasure, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again sometime down the line. I'll be
2: here. Thanks
0: right. a lot. It's a pleasure.
2: It's all mine, John.
0: Thank you very much.
3: Electricity. Is this fate? Is it meant to be? I don't know. You tell me if you can say what I'm thinking. You know how I feel. If you can say what I'm thinking. Say this feeling's for real. If you could speak my mind and dream what I'm dreaming of, if you could say what I'm thinking, you'd say you're. What we both know to be so sublime. Is this the future or history? Whoa, I don't know, baby. You tell me if you can say what I'm thinking, you know how. If you say what I'm thinking, you'd say this feeling's for real. If you could speak my mind and dream what I'm dreaming of. If you could say what I'm thinking, you'd say you're falling in.
0: dokie thanks to mike riley for being part of this episode of the roots report podcast pure prairie league will be at the greenwich odium on june 2nd for more hit the two-lane highway over to Odium.com. the roots report podcast is presented by motif magazine and sponsored by providence brewing company Rhode island blood center providence ballet theater jane adams resource corporation trinity brew house and mother earth wellness thanks for listening